Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to yet another fantastic edition of the HR on the Offensive podcast. If I do say so myself, fantastic edition because it's me, Chris, from Ace Partners, the usual host of this. So I guess you guys, the listeners, will be judge of that. And one thing you can't judge or one thing that you should always be judging as positive is my co-conspirator in crime, Emma Leonis. Uh, I was thinking Em's about a name for us. It's a crime-fighting duo. The only thing I can get into my head right now is Sharky and George. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I do remember um, Sharky and George, the crime busters of the seas. Yeah. <laughs> so I like it. Maybe that's it. A, so who's who? I don't know how I'm going to weave this into HR. Yeah, I'm not going to. We'll, we'll discuss that <laughs> offline. And discuss, but what we won't discuss off, off, offline, what we will very much discuss today is a white paper which has been produced by our friends at SD Works. And with me today, with us today, is uh, Charlie Knox, who is the Director of Product and Solutions at uh, SD Works. Charlie, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, thank you. I'm delighted to be, to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you today and to, to discuss the white paper. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. Yeah, we are too. We are too. Can we just before we get into actually discussing the white paper and of course the research which came off of well, which was conducted, which this white paper was then the product of, which was the future of work and people in Europe white paper. Can you just oh, sorry, survey, can you just give us a bit of an overview into SD Works and yourself and the role that you do at SD Works? Uh, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the research and the white paper itself. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, so SD Works is um, a European-based HR and payroll software provider. Um, we have around about five thousand um, HR professionals uh, in our in our organisation, and very much live and breathe delivering HR solutions to all of our customers across Europe. We are a wee bit unique in the industry. We're owned by ourselves, effectively. So, all of our all of the the work that we do ultimately results in us reinvesting in the com- company year on year. It means that we've got a different thought process to some of the other organisations out there. We take longer term decisions about how to improve and invest on HR and payroll services. And I think when you when you look at it, given um, HR and payroll are so critical, I think that's that's a, a good thing to to be able to say. Um, our people all live and breathe HR. HR and payroll, top to bottom, left to right. And that's that's really why we've commissioned these reports, because genuinely it's our passion. We're curious about it. We want to find out what's happening out there amongst our customer base, out there in the market space. We've interviewed well over 3,000 uh, organisations across quite a diverse set, and, and really it gives us some, some meaningful insight to talk about internally and externally. And it'd be great, Charlie, to perhaps just give us a bit of a, a teaser before we go into maybe some of the, the themes from your, your latest white paper. Just, I guess, around maybe the kind of trends that you're seeing, thinking about the future of work and, and people in Europe study that you conducted, but then obviously the kind of reimagining HR white paper or um, thought piece came off the back of. Yeah, so we, we definitely see two big, I suppose, large trends is obviously the, the, the fact that COVID's uh, driving real cultural change and there it's, it's really driving people to have, have a higher um, heightened expe- um, expectations of, of what HR and payroll is and, and what they expect from their employers. 
And that's really, if you take that and then break it down into the highest level, it really gives us four main, main findings out of this. A need for fluidity or the colleague base, um, looking to really understand the trend, the, the, sorry, obviously expecting their employers to work in a much less, much less rigid fashion um, and, and ever then leading on to a need for flexibility, improved employee experience, looking at both digital experience as well as uh, how do you actually drive culture and the needs of in, in a time of, of, of crisis and in digitization. And one of the things sort of that you've touched on there that we talk quite a lot about, Chris and I and, and sort of the Lace team and also with, with all the clients and, and people that we talk to is, I guess, that experience element. Um, perhaps in the past few years, maybe been a little bit, a bit of a buzz kind of phrase, you know, focus on the employee experience, focus on the customer experience, happy people, happy customers. Um, but I, it, it's not. You know, I don't think it's a fad. I don't think it's a, it's a buzzword at all or a buzz phrase. I think it's really here to stay. And one of the things that you kind of talk about in, in the uh, the report is kind of the Uber user effect. And I guess I'm just curious as to sort of your own experience, your own thoughts on maybe how that relationship between employees and employers has shifted perhaps over the past 12 months and, and what we can take from that going forward. Sure, absolutely. So I think um, certainly if I look at it uh, over the last 12 months, the, how do you how do you engage and begin to adapt your company culture when actually many of your new employees haven't ever been in one of your physical offices, may not have met any other person in that in your business face-to-face. <clears throat> and certainly from a customer perspective, may never have met any of your customers face-to-face as well. So I think the, 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 there has been an if I I look at the change in priorities by most of our customers, we see that obviously during the last 12 months, that's really led them to focus on making sure that they get the basics right, making sure they really focus on making sure that payrolls are absolutely up there. You've got no right to talk about change or improving culture experience if you're not paying your people accurately on time. And that's closely followed by needs to focus on well-being, yeah, and uh, colleague well-being, understanding um, what your colleagues are doing, how they're feeling, um, how the impact that the the change has been on, on a very remote and challenging situation. So, so from from that perspective, I think the what people are focusing on from employee experience has changed over the last 12, 12 months. I think previously it was very much about digitization and and potentially um, coming into the, the right working environment. I think that's changed. It's more about more remote working pack- packages, how we can get flexibility, how we can, we can respond to customer uh, sort of to uh, colleague needs. Um, especially if you look back at during the, the, the crisis, HRs need to respond to colleague questions and to organizational questions. I think was at the highest level in there and uh, really needing to focus on on delivering excellent services from the HR department to your colleagues, I think is is, a, is one of the key parts of that employee, employee experience now. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, um, just reading, when I was reading through the report, just looking at some of the key points that came out of it, one of the areas that I guess in my head, words that popped into my head was this idea of hyper-personalization. You know, everybody, everybody's, scenario everybody's working scenario as a result of this covid world that we've lived in has suddenly changed and everyone's slightly different beforehand you know i would go into our lace office emma would go in we'd normally be in roughly the sort of same times although emma doesn't ever seem to leave i think she she's got a bed under there sometimes. <laughs> but, um, the long hours that she did she's got herself on uh, 
Well, I don't think we arrive at the same time because I am not a morning person. This is That's a total true. conversation. So you're in before me, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and you're leaving after me. But anyway, so yeah, going go back to the original point. So um, this idea that all of a sudden you've got different people's different scenarios and how organisations are going to have to respond to that. And this idea that everybody wants something slightly different. We've talked about it in our recent white paper on shared services, that kind of contact your way approach. But how realistic do we think it is? And I guess that's a question that both of you could probably answer. How realistic is this idea of personalization for bigger businesses? And what questions do we think employers should be kind of asking themselves? Who wants to have a stab at that first? Yeah. I think we'll give it to Charlie. Go on. That's an excellent, excellent, excellent question. If I've had to think my own personal experience um, during, during certainly the COVID piece, that ability to understand the different impact that COVID had on each of each of our colleagues in there. Are they more impacted by childcare um, or are they more impacted by actually being being taken unwell and being, being sick? Are they more impacted by potentially working in a, in a much more remote fashion? Um, or are they, are they actually enjoying the experience? Are they enjoying um, removing that commute piece? So I think our, our, we, what we recognise quite quickly is that there's no one size fits, fits all. Uh, and flexibility is, is obviously key in how you respond to those bits. From a hyper-personalisation perspective, I think people are used to systems and interactions being much more intuitive and being much more data-driven in there. And I think that certainly we can learn from the crisis as to how can we capture more of those insights as to what's happening um, more widely, what can we derive from the, the level of transactions and the level of interactions that people have having from anything from how do they interact with our FAQs, what questions are they searching for, what transactions are they putting through, and how can we then help them, help themselves, link them to the fact that they've asked about and potentially time off to look after their children to to, to potentially pro- proactively volunteer other um, sources of information for um, child educational resources, etc. It's that type of um, thing that I think colleagues are, are expecting more and more because that's that's what you get in your, your own life. You're on Amazon and you've looked for something, you'll be inundated by other adverts for the same uh, or related uh, services in there. Why, why, why don't we apply those same things to, to in an HR context? That said, <clears throat> I still go back to uh, one of the key things that we found in there is make sure that you're actually getting the, the, the basics right in there before you take that big leap. And getting the basics right was was a hard challenge uh, in there. We were learning fast and we were learning quickly as we, we all uncovered what furlough means, as we all uncovered what uh, what it means to be a truly, truly flexible employer um, and to, to capture that. And I guess to maybe add to what you said there, Charlie, so, you know, something that I reflect on when I think of the word hyper, it sometimes could be interpreted as you have to personalise everything. Like hyper is, is more just, well, maybe it's a synonym for Uber personalisation, I, I don't know, but there's something in there for me, which is where do you draw the line? So find the commonalities, because if you've got data points, that, like you were saying, you know, the types of questions people are asking, there will be some common threads across all of those things that apply to everyone. And then it's, well, what are the very tiny bits that maybe that's the 20% that feels more personal to that someone that makes the difference? So I guess it's it's difficult to find the balance, but probably goes back to your point around if you've got the basics right and you've got some of that data using that to help you, you know, define what you're then trying to design, I guess. And what's the problem statement? What have you got? And how can you articulate that? But on the kind of brilliant basics point, just what you said slightly earlier in the conversation about the payroll piece, 
is really fascinating. Um, there's a fantastic quote in, in, in the report just around it's so fundamental, but it's overlooked pretty much all the time because it's taken for granted, perhaps. Um, you know, it's, it's the kind of base of the pyramid, I think, is, is one of the quotes in, in, the, in the report. So just the fact that, you know, ensuring smooth, efficient payroll calculations was one of the biggest concerns for HR professionals is surprising given it's so foundational. And I just wonder what your thoughts are around what's driving that. Is it capacity, capability, just the fact that it is a given, therefore it is overlooked? So I'm, I'm curious. So it's actually one of the most surprising parts of the report from from, from my perspective as well, I've got, I've got technology background. I've been in technology for, for 20, 20 odd years. But if we look at the of the 3,000 organisations that we interviewed, only 10% of them could say that they've got a fully integrated HR to payroll process. Yeah. And, and of them, I think it was something like 37% actually boasted a sufficient level of digital maturity. And and I reflect that if you're, if you're and that's that survey went to organizations from less the about 50% of them were SMEs, but there was about 25% of those customers surveyed were, were in the enterprise space, so large organizations as well, equally having that same same challenge of of of, of delivering fast and efficient integrated HR and payroll processes. So, so certainly, if I look at it, it, it that's one of the, the basic fundamentals. Yeah, how can you make sure that changes that that happen on an employee basis, whether it be role, compensation, rewards, or, or sickness and absence that may be captured in that HR system, get efficiently and effectively through to payroll? That, that to me, was was the how can you do that and give yourself the platform to to, to ensure you're doing the basics right to allow you to, to move on with the change if you've only got 10%, 10, 10 of the, the organisations have that, that level of integration? Yeah. Do you know what's amazing? <clears throat> like You just automatically assume that these large enterprise businesses have sophisticated processes and that level of digital maturity, uh, the, the phrase obviously that's used in the report. You just make that assumption. The amount of times where I've been along to conferences back in the old days when you used to be able to go along to conferences and chat to somebody who said, yeah, we're still using spreadsheets. And you're like, what? But yeah. you're dealing with reams and reams of data. You've got thousands of employees and your systems aren't sophisticated enough to deal with that. How many man hours are actually being spent with your teams just wading through the treacle of data that you know, an automated process or systems can just to deal with you. And I guess for some people, it's you don't know what you don't know, and they've always done it this way. So, you know, what you know, if if we don't know how to to do something that's more efficient, then we'll just keep on doing it as we're doing it. I think there's a there's a question in there somewhere which is around the data side, and I think there's a question in there around how you can ensure that your kind of getting data right and the importance of of good governance in there isn't there charlie well yeah absolutely yes i mean and ensuring that you've got that same um, access to the to the right data to make those right informed decisions has, has never been has never been more important the if you again if you reflect back last year people went hr departments went from reporting on their kpis maybe on a monthly basis about how many people they had sick about how many people had unexpected absences how many queries and uh, the, the service delivery 
to report to them on that on a day to day by day basis um, as to what their what their colleagues were thinking and feeling. And this is the importance the, the speed and expectation of responsiveness from major departments was 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 at a level um, of uh, that's never ever seen before. And many organisations had to do that and fall back on on spreadsheets, yeah, and getting a uniform and linked up, joined up position across many disparate positions was quite difficult. Um, starting from who the colleagues are, uh, what departments are they in, clearly what uh, what the, the the compensation and potential financial impact is of of their unavailability was quite a key key ask of many many HR departments. Back then, and making sure you've got um, clarity on that, and uh, making sure you're governing the, the access and the control of that data, and maintenance of that data is 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 extremely important. I think, though, even in organisations that maybe have more robust data compared to what we've just talked about, for me, there might also be something in there just around our own functional capability at, at utilising it. So, one of the things that that we we talk about in in some of our I think our white papers, and I think it very much links, Charlie, with, with what you're starting to, to talk about in yours too, is, you know, we need to lead HR by the numbers and that analytical capability, that data science piece, the embracing the inner data geek isn't necessarily something that is the traditional home of HR practitioners. Um, so even if you've got data, it's then how do you use it and therefore do we have the capability to do that? And so again, yeah, welcome your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I mean it's not easy. I mean it's uh, and, and no one should be beating themselves up about because uh, because because in my experience, there's very few organisations that that really do it. I think everybody's on a journey of maturity. Um, starting, starting, it needs to start at square, square one and continuously improve and uh, adapt the way that they the way they approach data and the insights that they, they, they start to gather and and get, um, uh, build from in there. I think the, the opportunity that certainly HR and, and payroll have got now is that it undoubtedly became a conversation that was happening at the very, very highest levels of all business. It's undoubtedly put a spotlight at, at the same level as um, organisations and boards of organisations talk about all their financial metrics and measures. I think during COVID, everyone was talking about the, the, the human aspects of it and the well-being aspects of it. I think that's the opportunity. So how do you how do you take that opportunity that, that, that the crisis has presented? How do you take that to the next level? And it's undoubtedly about taking the first step towards <clears throat> understanding the data and making the first fundamental steps in that rather than shooting for at level four of maturity, you go on that journey and, and set yourself and, and be, be comfortable that, that it takes time and it takes uh, it takes uh, hard work to get there. Yeah, there's definitely some learning, I guess, in the HR function and the HR space. And again, we talk about this in our, our shared services white paper because we talk about how can HR teams learn more from other departments like um, custom services or you know IT or whatever it is. And certainly analyzing, interpreting, and then using that data to evidence your decision making is something that I feel like, again, it's almost like the pandemic has accelerated the recognition from HR that well, we need to do this, we need to do this quickly. And then all of a sudden, as a result of that, it's made the voice a little bit louder because suddenly those at board level where you've got people that have been used to analyzing and interpreting financial data all of a sudden they're, as you just said they're analyzing people data and they're realizing actually these our hr function it's not just you know the the tactical operational side these guys can actually step up and and analyze and interpret too so there's definitely i feel like there's definitely 
some learnings that potentially have happened and perhaps potentially can happen a little bit more with HR as a function. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's um, absolutely. I mean, I, th I think if I reflect on my own personal experience, we went from looking at HR metrics on a monthly basis to looking at them day by day. Yeah, and there, so and that that happened overnight. Yeah, how many colleagues have we got in offices? How many colleagues um, are are currently impacted by COVID? How many colleagues are unable to work? That was a day by day requirement for us as senior managers to have insight into that, so that we could properly uh, manage our business. And our, our colleagues were the same. Um, we, if we look at the quests that we were getting to help with um, ad hoc reporting or, or analytics, it was the same same messages. Every organisation went through that journey. Um, and, and it's really, really heading up the, the, the pace of change. And one of the things you talk about in the, the report, which is, I think it's, it's, it's really great to kind of see it, to be honest, Charlie, because um, it's something we, we've talked about a lot before, which is HR having a seat at the table from an executive standpoint. In some organisations, maybe back to your point around maturity and the kind of journey, that was already there anyway. But... I think just the past 12 months have shone such a light on all of those people aspects of a business and the data associated with it that it's made people leaders actually come more in that spotlight, which for some would be a really positive thing and an embrace. Others might well have been a challenge, but still is a positive thing. And, you know, the, the quote in here, we've seen many CHROs moving up to board level for the first time, and it's been great to see. It is it's fantastic. And I think... The, the points around sort of well-being and culture now being discussed at the same level as finance, as in company finances. I mean, what more could we ask for when we think about kind of HR and, and its journey of an aspiration? Yeah, absolutely, and it's and it is it's great it's great to be to be part of that journey. Um, just reflecting on something else that, that Chris said uh, in terms of how, how quickly and that's one of the reasons I like working in the HR and payroll community because of the amount of learning that happens between organisations, the amount of uh, things that we've picked up and, and seen via, via LinkedIn, via organisations like yourself. It's a very, very, very open community. And uh, and you see that and, uh, and picking up on each other's experiences and sharing those things, good and bad, I think is, is one of the great things in there. And equally, uh, as you say, seeing more and more organisations prioritising wellbeing, seeing more and more organisations um, really get, uh, getting interested in uh, what, what more can we do to help and protect our colleagues and seeing that really rise up the priority list. If you look at the difference in terms of <clears throat> customer HR priorities at the start of 2020 till the end of 2020, seeing that real shift to focus on absolutely payroll first, well-being second and responsiveness third, I think is is, is exactly the right focus for, for where we are. Yeah. And, you know, just that point around learning from one another. None of us have been through anything like this before. Um, one of the things that we necessarily, perhaps as HR practitioners, I mean, I'm guilty of it as much as anyone. Sometimes you don't have time to learn from others but just that point that we've really been catapulted into needing to broaden our networks look outside learn from one another with that peer-to-peer -peer piece um, and that we can't solve it on our own again as you say it can only be a really positive thing and I guess it's how we continue to do that and not fall back into maybe some of the, the previous legacy behaviors um, when things get a little bit more stable it will be our challenge I think yeah, I think it's a, it's a question we're asking ourselves as well, because um, as well as uh, having to learn fast to support our customers, we're having to learn fast to support our colleagues as well. And uh, and uh, we were getting 
we were getting, if you reflect on it, we were all getting the same information from the government at the exact same time. And then you had customers and colleagues coming to you right at the exact same time to say, tell us what that means. Yeah. And there, so that ability, the, the only way that we could respond is to really come together as a, as a network. The only way we could respond is to come together as a team, joining up disparate functions within businesses to really help and support. And uh, that's um, that's something that we need to to make sure that we embrace going forward. How do we how do we continuously get HR to learn from IT and vice versa? But then also across the domain, how can we build up better um, engagement? And we, as, a, as an organisation, we're trying to, to give back through these reports and insights, the white papers that are available to all, and then they give they give an honest view of the research and what's happening out there across a, a wide range of customers. We also try to support that with with, with learning webinars as well uh, on there again. So it's uh, we're, we're doing a wee part, and I think we just need to keep challenging ourselves to continue to do that. Yeah, and, and I think sort of HR and payroll coming together more, again, just reflecting, making me reflect, Charlie, what you're saying, because in some organisations, payroll is owned by finance and HR is, is HR. Yeah, payroll so is always in HR, and therefore you get this little divide. Um, and everything that you've just talked about, again, I think just, we hopefully have seen more examples of the two coming together where maybe they didn't work so closely before. Because um, right. a lot of payroll issues are driven by HR data upstream, for example. Right. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And we did see lots and lots of examples where, where those two departments that are so critical to, to delivering that excellent employee experience had to come together. How do you how do you manage um, the the how do you manage dealing with um, so many requests for potentially furlough or time off to look after children when actually in some cases you don't have the the right facilities to be able to book those brand new transactions uh, through the system in there so there was there was no other alternative than effective um effective um working together to to, to, to deal with that piece cool um I just want to sort of move us on to, I've got a couple more bits that I, I wouldn't mind us touching on just before we uh, we wrap up for today's podcast. One of which is around the, the section, which is called Flex Appeal. And in the uh, survey that you did, you talked about the future of work, the future work survey talked about 30% of those surveyed currently say they're using flexible workers or freelancers, contractors, whatever you want to call them, but an additional 30% saying that they will in future. And that really made me interested because what we've heard in the news is just a lot of, oh, I'm a self-employed worker and I'm not covered or, oh, this is a real problem for me and challenge. So we've heard a lot of the scare stories. And you've also heard a lot of businesses because of what's happening with IR35 as well. You've heard a lot of businesses that have said, do you know what? Actually, we're just going to scale back on our contractors and either turn people to FTCs or just bring them on board as perms. So this is more of a question for both of you, actually, to be fair. What do we kind of think around? I mean, did that surprise you to find out that so many businesses are still saying, actually, do you know what? We are going to up the use of our our freelancers. And does this mean that we think we're going to see a return to that that gig economy sort of increases that we saw a couple of years ago, for example? What do what do we think there? Should we start with we'll start with Charlie as the guest then Ems? Okay, so I think if again if, if we reflect on, on what we learned last year, as as we look to respond to our changing customers' needs, uh, there was a need for us to operate more flexibly and get the right people in the right place to deliver the right services quicker than ever before. 
as an organisation, we found some activities reducing quite considerably, much less demand, and some some activities such as um, customer care and um, being responsive to customers increasing significantly in demand. And that's where we need, we had to adapt uh, to to create more talent mobility, to create more flexible pools of, of of colleagues to deliver those excellent customer services. And that I think showed what we can do when we need to do it. Uh, and that's then I think opened people's eyes as to as to what do we need going forward. And and that I think there's uh there's increasing demand or, or there's no doubt that our colleagues' needs have changed and our colleagues' desires have changed in there. They're looking for flexibility. And then also from a customer perspective in terms of the service organization, our customers' needs have, have changed as well. So um I think that they, they those two forces come together. And give us an opportunity to to create more flexible employment going forward, um, and I think that's that's good. That will be a thing that will stay with us going forward. Yeah, I, I would agree, Charlie. I mean, it's it is an interesting t- t- statistic, but it doesn't necessarily su- surprise me because um, you've got the two things, haven't you? You've got individuals wanting their own flexibility. So for some people, they're just going to want to keep doing their own thing might be project by project, um, you know, point in time support, do that for a few months and do something totally different. So there's the individual requirements. And then for businesses, as you've said, I mean, gives you the ability to very quickly scale up, scale down. Um, yes, for some organisations, dependent on the IR35 rules, there clearly are implications there. But I, I really don't see why or it isn't a good thing. I think it really, really is. But for me, it's a question of if the trend is potentially to embrace that more, and do that in different ways. What does that mean in terms of the culture that you create within an organisation? You know, you, you mentioned in the the white paper about traditionally we just keep well, we've got a one contingent worker, twenty contingent workers. It's, it's the skeleton profile that you keep within your, your core HRIS, which I understand. But you bring someone into a team; they're part of a team. They might be there for only a few months or a very defined period of time, bringing their expertise in. But they're coming into a culture of some shape or form, and by default, them being there enhances that culture in some shape or form. So depending on where the trend goes, organisation by organisation, if there's more of a move towards contingent, it will have, I think, a cultural implication, which is something we're all going to need to consider. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And it'll be, it will be very interesting to see how it maps out, how it plays on. I think it's... Um, it's a, it's, it, it keeps us keeps us engaged this year as we look at how that, that change and that trend does, does progress. Yeah, certainly. And so we're just coming towards the end, but I want, I want to ask one quick question, and that is around the the stat, which I thought was really interesting, which was less than one in five t- HR teams are saying they're happy with their current payroll their situation or their current uh, payroll issues. I guess it's this is a nice general open one. Why do you think that is? Why is that so striking from your perspective that one in five are actually happy? Um, and what what is going wrong? I guess is the question. I think it's 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 back to the the ever changing needs. Um, everyone out there is now both. Uh, every every person out there is a consumer and purchaser of their own technology. They've got their own digital um, lifestyle that they do. They do. They're all they're used to enacting transactions on a personal level and fully piece that. And if you compare that to organizations saying that only 10% of organizations have got a fully integrated HR and payroll service. And that, that I think the, the two they go hand in hand. And clearly, if if you can do things fully integrated um, online, on your any device, whenever you want it, 
um, on your personal life, then, then why can't you do that um, on a, as part of your professional life as well? Um, and that's that's personally my my view on that. So it's what, again, I said it's one of the, the most striking stats that I've um, found in there, and um, followed closely behind the the dissatisfaction generally with with, with payroll services. Um, did it surprise you at all? Uh, yeah, because that's the point that we were talking about earlier. In that it's so fundamental to success i.e. brilliant basics or having a very strong foundation as, a, as an overall HR function or finance function, depending on where payroll sits. So, yeah, it, it did. So if it's so integral, why are we saying saying that actually most people find it really much something they could continuously improve and it's a challenge? So, yeah, it did. Yeah, really. why, is it, why is it not the first thing on your to-do list, really? And do you know what? One of the quotes in there, I can't remember who said the quote, but uh, it, says, it says something like, you can get all of your cultural and the well-being, all of that sort of stuff, you know, nailed. But if you're not going to sort out the brilliant basics, like the payroll, then it all sort of undermines itself. Because particularly during the pandemic, when everybody was worrying about you know how am I going to get paid and stuff like that but um it's uh we're just towards the end of of the podcast now um Charlie it's been absolutely brilliant to have you on thank you very very much for joining us um I've really enjoyed just kind of dissecting the the white paper but also the the survey results as well that you've got so uh so thank you very much for joining us well thank you it's been a pleasure really enjoyed the conversation thanks Christine. thanks everyone. yeah it's been, it's been really great and uh Sharky to my George Always good to go on a podcast with you, Ems. So thank you very much for double teaming me with me today as well. That that's all right. I mean, I'm assuming with what you've just said there that you agree that I'm the the uh, George because that's the. I'm just checking here. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, George is the younger one. So uh, <laughs> inevitably, inevitably, you've <laughs> got to drop that one in, don't you? Thank you very much for listening to us on this latest HR on the Offensive podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have, please give us a rating five star rating would be nice you can go four but we always prefer a five star rating on the whatever platform that you use uh, you can find us on itunes you can find us on apple podcasts you can find us on spotify or on uh, TuneIn and stitcher and anywhere that you usually get your podcast but from myself from emma and from charlie thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye